When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the College Football Playoff Show, where college football playoff contenders earn the right to be discussed and where the playoff never ends. Now, here are your hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. Doug and Shahan on the College Football Playoff Show. Thanks to you guys for joining us once again. You're getting the hang of it. This main pod, we do two things here in the preseason. We discuss whether a team should join our playoff discussion. And then we take all the teams that have been deemed worthy of our playoff discussion and we rank them in a certain category. The team up this week, Shahan, is Iowa State. One minute opening statement. You are pro Iowa State and why the Cyclones should join our college football playoff discussion. I know over the last literally 100 years of college football, there is no time in the history of college football that Iowa State should have been considered in this discussion. I went back and looked. The last time they won a conference championship was 1912. Well, this is how special this Iowa State team is. They have the nation's leading rusher. They have a very experienced quarterback. They have one of the nation's best defenses. And they have, in my opinion, one of the best head coaches in America, who I think has done as much with as little as any coach. And you look at that Oklahoma game last year in the Big 12 title game. They were there right until the end of the game. They are a team that can compete on this level. They go they go play in a New Year's Six Bowl, and they win a New Year's Six Bowl over Oregon. So this is a team that has proven over the last year and over the last several years that they have deserved to be on this stage, and now is their moment. I would like to direct the audience to the beginning of Mr. Jay Haraja's discussion here. And I think maybe we could just leave it at that. I know, I believe to paraphrase what you said, Shahan, was that they've never been good. But, so let me, can I just cut off everything you said before the but? Because we're talking about, we're not talking about like, hey, you're a cute story. We're talking about, hey, are you a legitimate national title, maybe not national title, but are you a legitimate playoff contender? And so when you look, I just am always going to lean a lot on recruiting stuff, Shahan. They just, they don't stack up. They don't stack up with anybody else that we talk about in this discussion. And again, we're looking at last year, for instance, right? Last year, they went, they had a 750 winning percentage last year. That is their best winning percentage they also had that in 2000, 20 years ago. They were also nine and three. And their best one before that was in the 40s. So last year was tied for their best season since I think 1944. And they still lost three games. And like, that's not good enough. That is not, that is not playoff worthy. And so we are asking this team to do something it has never done based off being good being good, but certainly not being great. And this is rare company. We're talking, are you joining Bama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Texas A&M? This is rare company. And I'm not sure the Iowa State Cyclones deserve to join that company. 
So those are the two presentations. I think we did sort of cover the two sides of it because Shahan for the Iowa State Cyclones, and again, the second half of this pod, we're going to talk about the best running backs among college football playoff contenders. But we do Iowa State first. You're asking something here. I think Iowa State is almost more like a group of five team in a discussion like this. I'm not sure the discussion around the team like Iowa State is much different than the discussion around Cincinnati, which we probably will have at some point before the season starts. It feels you know, like maybe the discussion you have around a team like Northwestern, which has won two of the last three Big Ten West titles. But it's about a leap. And I think all the things that we're going to talk about, Shahan, boil down to is there reasonable belief reasonable belief that Iowa State can make a leap because it's a leap, right? Like this is, again, it's not nine and three is not going to get it done. They probably to make the playoff, Shahan, have to run it. I, I don't know that they get in with one loss. Now, listen, they play Iowa in week two. That's their rival. They haven't beaten Iowa forever. If they lose to Iowa in week two and then win the big 12 as an undefe- go undefeated in the big 12, including the big 12 championship game, I think maybe they get in that way. But other than that, they have like no wiggle room because they don't have a lot of credibility built up. And it's a big ask, man, but it's all about the leap, is it not? It absolutely is all about the leap. And the other thing, too, is that you are in a position now, if you're Iowa State, where everybody's coming back. You, you return the vast majority of everybody other than Jaquan Bailey. He was an All-American, but but you have guys there on the defensive line to step up. Uh, and, and again, this is where coaching comes in, right? They have done more with less. And the other thing, too, is that they haven't just done more with less against the, the dregs of college football. They've competed with Oklahoma. They've won a Fiesta Bowl. They've got that trophy in their office now, right? This this has been a gradual setup, I think, for what this season could become. And, and they return so much, I think, on both sides of the ball that I think this could be a really special team. And it, it, I think it could be, uh, not to make comparisons, right, but it is like to me that 2019 LSU team when you just had everything line up when you had all the players come back, when you had all these guys who had been in this system for a long time and you had the right coaching staff there. Again, it's when I say it's once in a century stuff, that, that's not even cutting it, right? It's more than a century that it's been. But, uh, but I think that's the level that we could be talking right now. They are helped by super seniors. I think at least seven super seniors that have the eligibility because of the pandemic that could be in the mix for them. They have, they lost one, they lost basically three starters total from last year, which is, again, like they're a good team. They lost one starter on offense and two on defense. When you looked at the Big 12 preseason team, all Big 12 preseason team, the the guys on offense and defense only, they had eight guys, which is the same number as Oklahoma and is vastly ahead of anybody else in that conference they are so veteran. Those guys, I think the the eight that they had, it was like one, two, it was like five, four fifth-year guys and four fourth-year guys. Like, they're so old. They are so old. And then the other thing that I think, I don't, there's certainly perception to this, but I think there's a lot of substance to it, too. Matt Campbell is a big reason for this. Mm-hmm. that we one of the things that we will rank in our breakdown of of contenders before we get to the start of the regular season is the best head coach. And if Iowa State is voted into our mix, and we'll see, you get a vote, I get a vote, and our tech subscribers get a vote. 
If they're voted in, I will be very curious to see how we rank Matt Campbell against Lincoln Riley and Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher and Dabo Sweeney. But I don't think it's crazy to put an Iowa State coach in that kind of discussion. And that has to factor in. How much does it factor in, Shahan, to how you think about Iowa State when you think about their head coach? I'm trying to think back. I think that uh, I think that Gene Shizik went like seven and five and got the Auburn job off it, right? Like that's that's the sort of level that we're talking about of success for Iowa State. They had never won ten games. They had never won. I, I don't even know if they'd won nine games, right? Like it has been a long time since we've seen any success. But I think that what Matt Campbell's done that's been so brilliant is he has found an identity. He's recruited to it. He's and he's developed to it as well. And so. Listen, this is a team that executes at as high a level as any team really in college football, partially because, like you mentioned, they are old. They have guys who have been around, who know the system. Uh, They've also been innovative. One thing that I think gets lost in in the mix is that John Heacock, their defensive coordinator, kind of in some ways reinvented college football defense, especially when defending the spread, right? Like you see all these these 3-3-5 looks, that's John Heacock. They have been ahead of the curve in so many ways. And then offensively, they've zagged in a lot of ways too. You know, there's a reason that they run these two and three tight end looks, right? It's because going against these Big 12 defenses, the way that they're set up, that's how you attack it. You kind of attack it under. You kind of attack it with gaps. You kind of attack it with this old-school mentality. And so you see so many aspects of the Mount Union system, where Matt Campbell came from. You know, Division Three. you know, I don't know how, they are the kings of the kings at the Division Three level. And you see, not in terms of schematics necessarily, but you see it in terms of player development and identification and team culture. And, And I really think that it puts them in a very unique position. They remind me, if they do, if they peak, right, if they do this, they would remind me a little bit of the 2015 Michigan State team that made the college football playoff. And you go into that year, Ohio State's the defending national champs. You say, ah, I mean, what? For real? Like you're going to have a, a college football playoff discussion about Michigan State? They have to play in Columbus this year. And It was Mark D'Antonio. It was a lot of three stars. It was development, right? It was a style of football. And they had enough talent to hang with the most talented team in their conference. And then you just have to have everything go right on that day. And what we do when we do this discussion, we say, can they be a national, an actual national title contender? We say, what is their biggest roadblock? And then we say, what is your level of conviction? So I I don't want to get too far ahead because I think it's pretty clear what the roadblock is. So let's go to, could they, are they actually a national title contender? Because you don't have to be a national title contender to be in the mix. This is not the national champion show. It is the college football playoff show. They're not a national title contender in my mind, Shahan. It's like, if you think they can get in, I don't think they can beat Bama and Clemson to win it. I don't think they can beat Ohio State and Texas A&M and win two games like that to win a national title. I think that's like off the table. Do you agree with that? Certainly, I agree. I, they, I don't see them as a national title contender. This is actually one of the rare situations that I feel like going to the four-team system is really going to hurt them in terms of a national title race because – you have to win two of them. Like you mentioned, you got to go through both Bama and Clemson. You have to go through Ohio State. You have to obviously beat Oklahoma along the way. And, you know, it's kind of like that 2011 Oklahoma State team. If you 
go and just have one game where anything can happen, maybe you have a chance, but it's just hard to see that with uh, having to go through that many quality opponents. So, so I think we agree on that, but yeah. that's okay. That's okay. It's just a little note, but we are being re- realistic about the Iowa State Cyclones. Let's talk about the roadblock then. I mean, I think like one roadblock is, well, you don't have as many good players <laughs> as, as the other best teams. Do they, this is very similar, I think. And this is the deal, Shahan, when we put Oklahoma, Ohio State, Clemson, and Alabama in the mix automatically, a lot of the other discussion is, well, can you beat one of those teams to sort of take their spot, right, in a four-team world? You know, there's not, they're in a lot. Are you going to knock one of them out? And and I don't want to say steal it, but in this one moment, take it. Or are you going to beat them in a way that you get in with them? They have to beat, potentially, does Iowa State have to beat Oklahoma twice to make the college football playoff? Not just once. Do they have to beat them twice or it's over? Probably. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if, if, if you're Iowa State, you don't have that implicit credibility, right? You just don't. And it is funny because you look back at last year. I, I mean, again, back in 2014, after that whole debacle, they added this Big 12 title game. Well, last year, Iowa State finished first in the conference. They would have been Big 12 champions if not for the Big 12 championship game. But like you said, you have to beat Oklahoma multiple times to really be in that conversation to win the Big 12. And so, yeah, that is the hard part. And The other thing that I'll mention, too, is this is not necessarily the year that you want to get Oklahoma multiple times. This could be one of the best Oklahoma teams we've seen in a hot minute. So it definitely does make their path a whole lot harder. But, you know, that's that's kind of going to be the path if you're going to make the college football playoff. Are they if anybody's going to stop Spencer Rattler and Marvin Mims and Kennedy Brooks and Lincoln Riley? Could it be this defense, though, what you said off the top about kind of the way they play it? Are they as geared and they have the familiarity, right? Are they as geared to try to stop Oklahoma as anybody on Oklahoma's schedule? Absolutely. I, three names that I want you to remember about their defense is Will McDonald's, who's going to step into Jaquan Bailey's role as an edge rusher. He's very disruptive. He's, he's. I mean, he actually, I think, finished with more tackles for loss last year than Jaquan Bailey, who was an All-American. Mike Rose, at middle linebacker, was the preseason Big 12 player of the year. And then on the back end, Greg Eisworth is the first player in the history of Iowa State to be a three-time All-First Team Big 12 pick. And now he has a chance to go for four, right? So they have guys, and, and I want to be clear. You you say they don't have as good players as Oklahoma. Well, they don't have the recruiting talent. And that that matters. That that plays a big part in it. They have, like you mentioned, eight preseason all Big 12 picks. They have much more experience than Oklahoma, Oklahoma has, excuse me, coming back. So this is a team that has guys who have done it before. You're not waiting to see whether they're going to do it. They have done it. Now, Again, they they need to take another step, and that's a question if, if you wonder if they've maxed themselves out, which I think is a fair question to ask. But I would also point to Brock Purdy last year, their quarterback, who was fine, but I think has another level to him that, that he had early in his career and that I think he can get back to with the receiving talent that they have. So there is a path here to me to beating Oklahoma to competing with them. And listen, if the first game is tight and you lose very narrowly and then you beat them in the Big 12 title game and go 12-1, and I still think that you have a very good shot uh, to still make a case for the college football playoff. I think it's one of those things that it works both ways. Not a great year to try to make a run in the Big 12 because this might be the best Oklahoma team. Could I mean, 
Could this be the best Oklahoma team since the Oklahoma National Championship team? That's out there, is it not? Yeah, I, I think that that and the 08 team are probably the two that you look to as these are these are it, right? And I certainly think that if you wanted to, you could say that this team's better. Now, again, they have more unknowns heading into the year than 08 did because 08's already happened. But when you look at the upside, when you look at what they've done defensively, when you look at what they bring back, when you look at the quarterback that they have, when you look at the running back that they add back into the mix who we'll get into... Certainly, I think that this could be Oklahoma's best team in a long, long time. They are so experienced, it blows your mind. It is, it, I, I underestimated a year ago how many super seniors would take advantage of the extra year of eligibility that these are guys who are going to just like play five years of college football. And again, uh, you know, we're here to talk about, I'm not sure they should have done it. I mean, like if you played like 10 games, it's like, why did you need an extra year of eligibility? I know like the the pandemic sucked for everybody in the whole world, but I don't know if you got, if that means you had to repeat your life, but that's what the NCAA did. I think they tried to err on the side of player good thingness. <laughs> I should be better with words for a guy on a podcast. And, and I get that. But it's certainly, it is an unexpected advantage. And a school like Iowa State, I think, is like right in that zone of the kind of school prepared to take advantage of that. Because they've got a lot of good football players, but I don't know that they have a million dudes ready to go break the bank in the NFL. So if you're not ready to go break the bank in the NFL, it's like, well, I don't know. I might be a late round pick or I might get in the camp as a free agent, but like there's a there's a possibility that as good as I am, like this might be kind of the end of my football career. You know, a lot of times, you know, three if you're really good, three years and go, you got to get to the league so you can get to your second contract and make your money. Iowa State is right in that sweet spot of a really good program that isn't filled with NFL dudes. The guys who made first team all Big Ten, this is like where they were ranked as recruits nationally. 339. 1,208, 737, 1,006, 787, 868, 839. Like, that's what we're talking about here, Shahan. But they have, like, more than, like, 400 career starts for the guys on their roster. They bring back seven offensive linemen who have started games because they had some injuries last year. They moved some guys around. Like, they have everybody back on the offensive line. Brees Hall is back as one of the best running backs in the country. And that's a guy who was a, a fairly big-time recruit for Iowa State. I think he had nine 100-yard games last year. He is the real deal. And as you said, I think, would you say Brock Purdy at quarterback was better in 19 than he was in 20? Is that a fair shorthand for him? I think it's definitely fair. And that's kind of the question, right? That's That, to me, is the level that they have to raise. They're going to be consistently solid at every position on offense and defense. And I think at quarterback is where maybe you start to see some explosion. They added a receiver last year who did some big things, who ended up being an all-Big 12 pick in Xavier Hutchinson. And he's the guy who I really need to see that connection build with. I need to see them explode down the field because... You can be as solid as you want. I do think you still need those explosive plays. Uh, but when it comes to the sort of the short game, I mean, Charlie Kolar is one of the best tight ends in the country. Maybe with Kyle Pitts gone, could be the best tight end in the country. Uh, Brees Hall, running back, you mentioned, is the leading rusher coming back. At, well, and was the leading rusher last year in all of college football. Like, this is a special, special group. And... You know, it's kind of like basketball, right? One thing that you see a lot in basketball is you have these one and dones, right? And these guys are here for a year or two or three. And then you have these teams like Gonzaga and Baylor last year where they are 
23 and 24 year old dudes who just this is what they do and they you know they've trained for the last six years for this moment and and listen they might not have as much implicit talent as everybody else but they are just solid. They know their scheme better than anybody else, and they have as much experience as anybody. So there is not a player on that entire team who doesn't know what's coming. So there's two things that stood out to me as kind of like weird things that stuck in my head as I tried to make my decision on whether I think Iowa State is a legit member of a playoff discussion. One is that their backup running back last year was a fourth-round pick in the NFL draft. And that... Told, he's just he's really fast. I think he's a return guy. But that told me something. As much as I just said, hey, I don't know if they have a lot of guys who are going to break the break the bank in the NFL. You know, like they have Brees Hall as a guy who's like an All American, and the guy behind him, yep, got picked, and that was like okay, yeah, that means something to me. And the other one is the guy that you mentioned. This is more tangible, but Xavier Hutchinson. He's a junior college guy. He played high school ball in Florida. He came in. He was like the Big 12 newcomer of the year last year. You can understand, especially like in a pandemic, right, with all the practice that they missed and that he still was that kind of player his first season with Brock Purdy. They're back together. They could go to the next level. And when you're looking at high school recruiting rankings and stuff, and we know with the transfer portal, that's not going to be the only way you build teams. Junior college route is a very common thing to do. If you're telling me you have an Iowa State team that has a lot of guys who are fourth and fifth year guys in the program, and then what did you add? We had like a receiver from Florida who was the Big 12 newcomer of the year. That's like a talent infusion. Now, listen, that guy wasn't a five-star recruit in high school, but that's a talent infusion that tells me, that is an indication to me of like, okay, this is not just a group of like veteran try-hard guys. There are some injections here leads me to believe maybe this is a year that gets them over the top. Is that, that ta- right? I'm looking for talent infusions. And if you've got a starting running back who blocked a fourth-round pick and you've got a receiver from Florida who kind of lit it up right away in a pandemic year in year one, that's real to me. Yeah, and I think you look at a lot of those guys. You have that nice mix. I think that one of the ways to build programs if you aren't consistently getting those four- and five-star guys is to have those feature pieces, right? Like you mentioned, I I believe Brees Hall was a borderline four-star kid. Brock Purdy was a four-star kid. Uh, Greg Eisworth, I believe that Ole Miss was like a top 500 kid, right? So you are talking about having a couple of those guys and just filling in the gaps. That's what you're looking to do, right? You're looking to fill in the gaps. I think they've done that on the offensive line at a very high level. I think on defense, I mean, again, you have those solid guys and then you have those feature guys that maybe you expect to be big playmakers. I think the way that they built this roster is really smart for what they're able to do and what they're able to get. And and I think that you will see that upside kind of come out with a guy like Xavier Hutchinson with Brock Purdy, hopefully getting better as a fourth-year player. And also, I mean, listen, Brees Hall was, uh, you know, the leading regular season rusher last year and he's back and and there's still reason to believe he could keep getting better. Yeah. He's a real deal. Uh, You watch that guy. He, he just looks, he's kind of got it all. He's just productive as all get out. He finds holes. He breaks tackles. He has speed. He just knows how to be a good running back. And that translate, I think there's a decent amount of stuff that translates with these guys. And I think every coach, you know, the, the top tier schools, Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, they're used to losing guys after three years, right? You don't get them for a long time, but they're always looking for that. They're always looking for like, we think our best team is going to be some version of those great 
talented guys supplemented or led by or both by the veteran guys who are in year four and five. No, I mean, Iowa State, it's unbelievable. They might be the oldest team in college football history. It is unbelievable how veteran they are. So when you think about them, the last thing we do in this breakdown, Shahan, is sort of your level. We're not saying whether we think they deserve to be in the discussion or not, but how certain are you of your opinion? Do you have like a high level of certainty, a medium amount, or a low level of certainty in thinking about Iowa State? I'm going to go with medium. There's certainly factors, I think, on both sides without getting into my pick that pull me each direction, but I kind of settle somewhere right there in the middle. I will say I am pretty high on what I'm going to vote. I am I am pretty high on what I'm going to vote here. And I want to thread the needle on what we're voting on. Semantics matter. Semantics do not make for good podcast discussions, but they matter. What I feel like I'm voting for is should we continue to talk about them? Like, do they deserve our breath? Listen, man, you only get so many in this world. And there's nothing worse than like spending time doing something working on something, thinking about something that you don't want to think about and you don't want to talk about. It's like, man, I... So, like, am I like, God, Iowa State, for real? We got to talk about them for, like, another six weeks? Like, that's that's what I'm voting on. I'm not voting necessarily on, do I actually think they're going to make the playoff? But are they good enough to deserve our breath? And so I have a high level of certainty on that and I'm going to vote yes. Wow. I have I have very little doubt. I voted no on USC because they're not coached by Matt Campbell. Because, yeah, USC had Keaton Slovis, but they have other good players. I didn't see the veteran, the level of veteran presence like across the board. I think to me this is veteran presence coupled with with legit talent at the skill positions that are get you over the top guys. So if you're telling me that they're going to go play Oklahoma and they're not going to beat themselves, it's like, all right, don't beat yourself, but then what? Well, Brock Purdy and Brees Hall and Xavier Hutchinson and Charlie Kolar are then what? Then what is we're going to unleash a real offense here. And we believe in our scheme defensively. We believe in all these guys we have back on defense. I have to keep talking about them in my mind. Now, I think they might lose to Iowa in week two because Iowa's going to like, Iowa is in contention to win the Big Ten West. That is a great rivalry. Iowa State has not gotten over the hump against them. Iowa all offseason is going to be hearing this talk. Everybody is putting Iowa State in the top 10. Nobody is putting Iowa in the top 10. And Iowa would like nothing more than to ruin what should be the greatest season in Iowa State history, right? They would love that. Now, it is in Ames. Iowa State gets them at home in week two. One thing I want to talk about before we get your vote, Shahan, and before we get the texter vote, dealing with expectations for programs like this does matter to me. It matters with Cincinnati. It matters with a school like Northwestern. It, all these teams that are sort of unexpectedly good. And I think very often when there's no expectations, you're good. And then as soon as you're good and people have expectations, you're like, what is that? And that's what often differentiates the raw talent. But like Alabama's used to it. Alabama is national title or bust every year. And all the guys there are like, yeah, we're good. We can handle that. That I think does 
influenced my view of Iowa State to some degree. It's not pulling me back from a yes vote, but how do you think the expectation game will matter to a team like this? The thing that you pointed to is how experienced they are, how old they are. I mean, these are these are guys who are running internships and looking, you know, getting married and looking at their their next lot in life, right? Like they know the value of this moment. I don't think that the moment is too big for them. I think that they are prepared for it. And listen, they went through this process last year. They finished first place in the Big 12. If they didn't, if the Big 12 didn't institute a Big 12 title game, they would have a Big 12 title under their belt. They won a Fiesta Bowl, right? Like these are stages that they stepped up to and dominated. And so for me, I'm not concerned about that. I'm not concerned that the moment's going to be too big for them. Now, that's that week two game against Iowa. They they have to, if you're not going to, if Matt Campbell's never going to beat Iowa, then what are we doing here, right? Then we just no, need to stop, stop playing this game. Uh, it's It's been a, a crazy situation for Iowa State. And honestly, more than how they finish, the question for me is going to be, can they start better? That has been the issue for them year after year after year is they, they're the best team in the world in November. Where is that in September? That's going to, I think, be the, the thing that tells us right away, is this really a team that's focused and, and ready and, and ready to win an, a championship? Is, hey, man, how do you play in week two? How do you play in week four? How do you play in week five? If they go in and they're whatever, 4-0, and 5-0 heading into the schedule, I'll feel really good about them. Because again, I mean, like to that point, people thought they had a chance to be really good and they lose to Louisiana 31-14 at home in their opener. And then they go on to have the best regular season record in the Big 12. But it's like, well, why did you get like not, you lost by 17 to Louisiana at home in your opener? That is a black mark. I do think sometimes a lot of us, we you know, you, there's like a coach that's kind of picked and it's like, that guy's a genius. It's like, okay, when you are a program builder and you're doing something nobody's ever done, you deserve a lot of credit for that. But at some point, you've got to get over the top. And I do think that Louisiana loss will hang on them until they prove that they're not going to be sidetracked by something like that. And Iowa is going to test them right away in week two. And again, I do think, again, if they lose to Iowa and then beat Oklahoma twice. Okay, well you're probably in. But that's if you lose to Iowa, but I also think to Shahan to your point, the expectations, they're going to be a top 10 team in the preseason. The expectations are going to be there to such a degree if they lose to their rival again at home in this big season, I also think it could go off a cliff. Right. Right. So, my vote is yes. All that notwithstanding, the cliff is right over there. I don't know if there are cliffs and names, but don't go near them, Cyclones. The texter vote. If you want to be a tech subscriber and get to influence whether we keep talking about a team, you sign up, you send a, a text to 817-442-6789. You send a text to that number. You get a little thing back to sign up. You sign up, you get a 14-day free trial, and that's a buck a month after that to kind of be in our little uh, college football playoff show family. The texter, Shahan, guess. Do you think the texter said yes to Iowa State in the discussion or no in the discussion? I'm guessing no. It's no. <laughs> it's one of these things about the vote. Nobody gets to hear our presentations before they vote. So it's like, I don't know what they know about Charlie Kolar. I don't know what they know about how many starters they have back on defense. So it was 67% to 33%. So a pretty resounding no from the tech subscribers. They are not interested in more Cyclone talk on this podcast. That means it's down to you, Shahan. 
You determine whether they make our discussion. Again, over the last literally a century, 109 years, if I'd gotten a text on my phone, even before phones invented, uh, and, and heard, hey, man, do you think that Iowa State can compete for a national championship? Of course, I would have been like, what is this? No, of course not. But not this year. This year's different. I am going to vote Iowa State in. They've shown enough to me. They finished first in the Big 12. They won the Fiesta Bowl. They have all this experience coming back. This is a culmination year for Iowa State, and they absolutely deserve to be in the discussion. Iowa State, welcome to the college football playoff show, playoff contender discussion. The Cyclones are in. They are our sixth team in the mix. So as we move forward in all these rankings, from now until the start of the regular season, we will be ranking Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Texas A&M, and Iowa State at the very least. We'll see who else gets added. We've got Georgia out there to talk about. We've got Cincinnati out there to talk about. We've got Notre Dame out there to talk about. They will have their weeks and their chances to get in. But Iowa State is going to be on that list. Now, again, once we get to the regular season, guess what? If they lose to Iowa in week two, they're probably getting kicked out. And then they'll have to work their way back in to see if they deserve their chance to get voted back in. But I think this is I think this is the right call. And I think our tech subscriber, Shahan, after hearing it, I think they might buy it, right? It's okay if you're not an expert on Iowa State at the moment. I think this is this is like the peak of all peaks. This is like a one and done. And I'm not so sure. Matt Campbell maybe should like, if they make the playoff, he should probably be the coach of the Atlanta Falcons next year or whatever. That's not right. But I mean, like this, this might be, you'll never, he's never going to have a team like this again, or at least it would take him another five years to build this up. I know we have a lot of Midwestern listeners and people might know he was offered a lot of money to be the Detroit Lions head coach. Right. It's th- that was an opportunity that he might have had. And he turned it down because he felt like this team could finish the job. So if that's not an endorsement, I don't know what an endorsement is. It also probably is. I don't know if I want to be the Lions head coach, <laughs> but but no I agree commenting with you. that one. <laughs> but but it, it this happens a lot of like, listen, what's the point of building something? And then like, I think you would always regret not seeing it through. Right. So I think you would always wonder that NFL opportunity is always going to be there. I think I've often talked about Matt Campbell of like, listen, if Iowa State makes the playoff this year and Michigan goes four and eight, Michigan should offer Matt Campbell $40 million a year to be the Michigan head coach. I'm not sure he would take it. I think he might be I at a point where it's stay at Iowa State, it's go to Ohio State. He's got these Ohio roots, and that's an established team. Like if, if Ryan Day moves on. Matt Campbell might be the next most logical guy or the NFL. I don't know that there are other college jobs that would entice him enough when he's kind of got something pretty good going on at Iowa State. So Iowa State is in. That means when we come back on the College Football Playoff Show, we'll be ranking them with the five other playoff contenders. Who has the best running back? Where will Brees Hall and the Cyclones fit into that mix? We'll do it next on the College Football Playoff Show. Doug and Shahan, back ready to rank running backs. We are going to rank them one through six. And and this is a group effort. Like, it's not the best individual running back because there are a lot of guys. There are a lot of teams here that aren't leaning on a guy. There's there, Bama doesn't quite have a Najee Harris this year. 
You know, there are some, I think Clemson looks like they could use multiple guys. Ohio State's probably going to use multiple guys. Oklahoma's probably going to use multiple guys. Even Texas A&M with Isaiah Spiller has a really interesting second dude. So Brees Hall might be kind of like the the only guy in this mix who's kind of like all him. So we're looking at those running back situations. We'll rank them in reverse order. Six through one, Shahan, Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, Texas A&M, Iowa State. Who did you have sixth when we talk about running backs? To me, it was Clemson. So they lose Travis Etienne, maybe the best running back in ACC history, and a guy who, both as a runner and as a pass catcher, was a really special player for them. They'll have a rotation this year. Lin J. Dixon is kind of supposed to be that guy, but he's never really been that guy. And then after that, it's really freshman. I mean, they added a really special player in Will Shipley, who's going to be a great player down the line. But asking him to have to contribute this much on a on a college football playoff level offense, that's just a lot for me. So for me, Clemson is number six. So let's talk about Clemson a little bit because I had them fifth. Okay. So I also had them near the bottom. Lin J. Dixon is a guy who kind of wound up waiting on Travis Etienne, right? I mean, I think a lot of people were surprised when Travis Etienne came back last year. And then he didn't have, he didn't do as much last year. Uh, In 2018, he ran for 547 yards. In 2019, he ran for 635. Last year, he ran for 190. So he wasn't as impactful a year ago. I kind of like him. I, I, I can see... I think he's like kinetic to me. His le- when he moves, it looks like his legs are like a whirlwind, right? Like they're like they're kind of a blur. He's a very kind of high energy running back. It's a little bit of a try hard situation, I think, right? That I think, but but I think he feels like he's a little bit of a of a boost of energy. I know I think the people at Clemson have said over time. He needs to be a little more consistent. He needs to be a little more mature. A lot of that, I think, when they talk about that, that means in your pass protection, don't get our quarterback killed, right? There's more to being a running back than just running the ball. If it was only him, I think I would have them sixth. But I do think they have interesting guys behind him. They have a guy named Kobe Pace, who is kind of a lower-rated guy in the class of 2020, number 451 in the country. He's from Cedartown High School, which is the same high school in Georgia that produced Nick Chubb. I think he's interesting. People at Clemson liked what he did in the spring. And then, as you mentioned, Will Shipley, true freshman, number 31 overall player in the country, according to 247 Sports. And then Phil Maffa, another true freshman, 6'1", 215. He's kind of a big dude. Also intriguing, number 184 overall player in the country in the class of 2021. I think this is I think this is a group. People reading Clemson stuff, people thought Pace had the kind of spring where he might be the guy. And so if Lynn J. Dixon is getting like 20 carries a game, like that's not it. That, that's not it for them. But if he's a little bit of Maybe he gets the first series, and then you bring in these younger guys. The people, the stuff that people were saying about Will Shipley, everybody at Clemson, DJ Uwangale, like Dabo Sweeney, Justin Ross, everybody was talking about how fast Will Shipley is. And he might be a guy by the end of the year. I think they have a pretty good mix to break in a true freshman like that. Now, Ohio State's got a true freshman that I think they're going to lean on. 
You know, Will Shipley is not a guy that Clemson, I don't think, has to lean on out of the gate. I don't think Will Shipley is going to open with 18 carries against Georgia, right, in week one. But I think pace is pretty good. I think Dixon is solid. I like him enough to not have them last. But it's interesting, Shahan, we're going to keep having discussions about this, about the group. Because Bama's a lot like this, too. It's Mm. the group because the top veteran guy is maybe a step short of what that program often has. And then there's interesting guys underneath. But Kobe Pace also influenced me here with the way people talked about what he did in the spring as a second-year guy. I'm curious, then, who do you have sixth? So this might be a blind spot for me. And you maybe can set me straight on this. I am not a huge Kennedy Brooks guy. Really? Yeah. And so I know Oklahoma brought in Eric Gray as a transfer from Tennessee. He seems like a little more explosive to me. I had trouble with this when Trey Sermon transferred from Oklahoma to Ohio State. Because to me, a lot of times when you watch Oklahoma, their starting running backs are running through gigantic holes against like undermanned Big 12 defenses. And maybe this is unfair. Maybe you can set me straight. I have Oklahoma six because Kennedy Brooks a little bit to me is like a big hole guy. And I was when I was watching a lot of these other running backs, I thought there were other guys who did more on their own when there wasn't as much there. So I know I think the Kennedy Brooks, Eric Gray combo is pretty good. Right, that Eric Gray ran for 772 at Tennessee last year. Kennedy Brooks opted out last year, but was a thousand yard back in both 18 and 19. A lot of these young guys that 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 both that places like Clemson and Alabama and Ohio State to some degree, and Texas A&M, these other schools have an older guy, and then they have intriguing guys underneath them that I think can pop. I feel like I know what Kennedy Brooks is. And he's fine. He's good. I don't know if when the going gets tough in the playoff, if he's a guy, you know, if somebody has something to really limit Spencer Rattler against a great defense, is he going to be the guy to do what maybe I think some of these other guys could do? I'm I'm intrigued to see what you think of my Oklahoma analysis. Well, uh, not to spoil the surprise, I have Oklahoma number one. Wow, it's so different. So different. Time to fight. (laughs) Time to fight. So here's the thing for me. So Oklahoma, like you mentioned, Kennedy Brooks, a two-time thousand-yard back, even though he wasn't the primary rusher. I understand what you're saying about him not being a, you know, a tight spaces guy per se, but that's really just what Oklahoma's offense is built around, is built around getting guys in space, right? And so for me, that's that's being like, oh, well, Texas A&M's receivers should be number one because they're put in worse positions, right? Like <laughs> to me, that's just not that helpful. I'm still going to rank Marvin Mims ahead of whoever else at Texas A&M, even though he has the benefit of getting to run, right? And so for me, I look at Oklahoma, Kennedy Brooks, again, two-time thousand-yard back, average 7.5 yards per carry, just a totally consistent piece over the, his first two years on campus. And Eric Gray, I think, to me, is a little bit more of that tight spaces guy, the guy who is able to, to kind of do more of the short yardage stuff. And so having a combination like that, I think, is real special. They've also got a kid named Marcus Major who, when Kennedy Brooks was out, early factored into the rotation and played real well for them. And one thing to note is that in the class of 2020, they had a kid named Seth McGowan who got kicked off the team. So instead of, you know, dealing without that, they just added Cavantre Bradford, who was a top 150 kid as a transfer from LSU from that class of 2020. So to me, they have the combination of talent, experience, 
production and and also pedigree and also offense i think as well does factor into that that to me i i think that few teams are going to rely on their running backs and, and the talent that they have there as much as oklahoma the opt-out a year ago for kennedy brooks two things in the analysis of this one is how do you think that affects him for 2021 and how much was he missed when he wasn't there a year ago I think he was missed a whole lot. So Ramondre Stevenson, who ended up, uh, I think he was drafted in the sixth or seventh round, ended up playing pretty well for them. But he was very much supposed to be a complimentary back to what Kennedy Brooks was. So I think last year's a good example of showing that, no, it's not just assumed that you just toss a running back in that Oklahoma offense and they're going to go off. Like we saw, and part of it was, I think, offensive line play that developed throughout the year. But, but without having a dynamic running back like Kennedy Brooks there, their offense did not look the same, especially to start the year. Even more was put on Spencer Rattler, and you see some of his struggles early in the year. Their inability to run the ball played a huge part in that. How do you think that'll shake out with Brooks and Gray? You think Gray will be, I mean, is it a split? Is, is it not quite that? Is it 70-30? How much of an influence will Gray have? Oh, I think a big impact. I think it'll be like a 60-40 room. I think Kennedy Brooks gets the, the majority of those carries, partially because of, uh, you know, he's been there for a long time and knows that offense really well. And also just because I think that he has proven that he can be that kind of runner for them. But the fact that I don't think either of these guys will really necessarily need to go over 150 carries next year, and they can really focus on being efficient, focus on making the right reads, focus on being pass catchers too, I, I think that's huge for them. Do you want to yell at me anymore? I mean, like one, one to six is a pretty big gap. It's like I've been waiting. It's like, oh, let's let's have a disagreement. This is not this is not artificial. We ranked Oklahoma on opposite ends here. I blew your mind. I blew your mind. Yeah, yeah. Well, my thing is fundamentally that there are three programs to me on this list who might have something, but it's pretty unknown. Now, the talent there is great. Uh, the production that they've had, they, they've had good guys. And to me, it's just, it's a little crazy to have these two guys who are proven production, right? I, I'm really valuing that. I love the stars. I love that Will Shipley's the fastest man who's ever lived and has the most stars of any man who ever lived. I, I've seen a running back rush for a thousand yards two times. That matters to me. All right, so that's going to influence the rest of this conversation quite a bit because there are – and it's, again, I do think running back is a position where you can come in as a true freshman and do something, right? That that, I I think if you've got a good offensive line and if you've got a good play caller and, you know, as long as you don't get your quarterback killed and pass pro, I I think that can be a thing. So I have Oklahoma six, Clemson five. You have Clemson six. Who's your five? My five is Ohio State. So – I like Master Teague. I think that Travion Henderson comes in, number one running back in this class, going to be a huge uh, contributor for them. I think this kind of goes back to our philosophy, honestly, because to me, it goes back to the last episode. We talked about wide receivers and Demond Demas, right? Demond Demas is this all-world receiver. But if I haven't seen it, and I've seen it for another guy, I'm going to value that guy over what could be. I've seen enough five stars not contribute to assume that they're going to come in and just for sure be superstars. And so for me with Ohio State, again, Tegan Henderson, those it's, it's a great combo. Certainly you'd be able to speak more to Ohio State than I would. But, uh, but you know, to me, again, there's a reason that Trey Sermon came in last year who was kind of a cast off at Oklahoma and was suddenly Ohio State's lead rusher because I think that their room has been a little shallow. Now, adding Henderson, I think, will cement that heading forward. But, uh, but again, I'm going to value production that's happened versus production that could happen. So that's it's a very good point, and it's very real. They thought they had Bijan Robinson. 
two classes ago. And then he goes to Texas and it blows a hole in their running back recruiting. And that's why they had to get Trey Sermon. They were a guy short, no doubt about it. Master Teague is a backup running back to me. He's like a good, he's got, you know, he's one of those guys who looks like he has a two by four in his shoulder pads. I mean, he is physically, he is awesome. Feet, vision, explosiveness. I mean, he's a little more of like, get you four yards. I don't know that he gets you, turns a five-yard run into a 20-yard run. I think if Ohio State's going to be good, it's got to be Travion Henderson. I have them fourth. So you have them fifth. I have them fourth. J.K. Dobbins is a true freshman in 2017, ran for 1,400 yards all camp that year. All we talked about was he's coming. He's coming. People can't believe it. He's coming. And he was a real deal right away. He had the opportunity. Their veteran back had some injuries, and he stepped in. I think that's what Trevion Henderson's going to do. Yes, we haven't seen it. I think he's special. I think he's got the feet. I think he's got the vision. I think he's got the speed. I think he's a guy. And to me, when I think about, like, even this year, because this, this is not projecting two years from now. It's like the upside this year. I think Trevion Henderson's upside this year is higher than Kennedy Brooks. Because like it's one of those things. It's like Kennedy Brooks has done it, but I also feel like you know what Kennedy Brooks is. Like, I, I don't know that there's going to be a lot more there. And it's good. It's good. But from what I've seen from Trevion Henderson, from the way people have talked about Trevion Henderson now, Ezekiel Elliott, his first year at Ohio State in 2013, like didn't do that much. And he didn't really come on until the second half of 2014. And by the playoffs in 2014, he was killing people. So it's like that development track. It's hard to bank on it. Ohio State's in a situation where they're banking on it. They have another top 100 player at running back in this class in Evan Pryor, who's like a wrinkle in there. They have a guy in Mayan Williams, who's a second-year guy, a little bowling ball guy, who is supposed to be like the next Brees Hall at Iowa State. And when Ohio State missed on Bijan Robinson, they were like, oh, 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 we need a running back. They flipped Mayan Williams. So they, they were really short a year ago. They were really short. And they fixed it with two top 100 players in the room, but they've never done it. So I think this is going to be a continuing point of discussion between us of five-star freshmen versus guys who have done it. You like having seen it. I think to myself, I've seen it and it's fine. I think what I haven't seen has a very good chance to be better. So I felt very comfortable ranking Ohio State higher. Again, I probably like Lynn J. Dixon like a little bit better than Master Teague and comparing Clemson and Ohio State as kind of that front-end veteran, but I like Trevion Henderson better than Kobe Pace or Will Shipley as the younger guy coming up. I've covered Ohio State for 16 years. Henderson's different from what I've seen and from the way people talk about him, but he hasn't done it. So that's where we stand on that. So you have Ohio State 5. I'll have Ohio State 4. Who's your 4? My 4 is Alabama. So you have a guy in Brian Robinson who is expected to be the guy, right? It's It's been a whole lot of waiting for Najee Harris to graduate. He actually came back, I believe, for a fifth or sixth year of eligibility just to kind of have his time in the sun. And the thing that, and so Brian Robinson's fine. Again, you you, you counter those those top guys, Lynn J. Dixon, Master Teague, Brian Robinson. I don't know if I feel especially special about any of them. I think they're all comparable. Completely agree on that. Yeah, and the thing that I like about Alabama versus those other two is we saw 
a Texas kid, by the way, from Alito, Jace McClellan last year, he had some banger games. I think that there's a real chance that Jace McClellan as a true sophomore could come in and take a lot of snaps from Brian Robinson. And, you know, you got another guy in Trey Sanders who, again, has been around for a long time. I think he's a very experienced player. And also you do have Kamar Wheaton as a five-star guy coming in as well. So Alabama has that mix of you have the old guy in the room of Brian Robinson. You have the the uh, real young talent who I think could be the guy in Jason McClellan. And you've got some young guys in Trey Sanders and Kamar Wheaton who will factor in, I think, right away and give them a very deep room. So I read a very interesting story in the Tuscaloosa News about their running back room. In, Ala- in Nick Saban's 14 years, according to the research they did, and it was it was great stuff by the Tuscaloosa News, only six of Saban's 14 years have they had a one back get more than half the carries. Two of those years were Najee Harris the last two years. Yeah. So this is normal. This is normal for them. They have years where it's like, I mean, they have like a Trent Richardson, Mark Ingram, Eddie Lacy year where it's like, okay, well, you like there's a lot there, but you're sharing it, right? Like they do this. They're going to share it. And Brian Robinson is a older guy, 6'1", 228, good, not great, good, not great. But what you like about them is everything you just said. The guys behind him, McClellan is like a, a, a guy who's done it enough, right? He's the number 47 overall player in the class of 2020. So that's a big time dude. He's physical. He's a tackle breaker. He's got second level acceleration. You see him be a guy, he's physical enough to get through like the the mess at the line of scrimmage. And then if he gets 10 yards down the field, he can put it away. He had like a crazy fourth quarter run against Arkansas that was like, okay, that is a thing, right? And, and Shahan, you like that, right? As a part, yeah. like, hey, he's a second year guy who, even though he only had 23 carries last year, you've at least seen something on the college level that you can hang your hat on. Yeah, no question about it. And Again, when I want to balance a room, that's what I want. I want old, I want young, I want short yard, I want long yard. And I think that Alabama, while again, I I don't think they're as special as the teams that I put ahead of it. I, I think that they clearly have the knowns to come back with also some upside there to move uh, even higher. So what you like about them is Brian Robinson's not the answer. No. He's nice, but he's not the answer. But between McClellan and then Trey Sanders, who was the number six overall player, by 247 Sports in the class of 2019, has an ankle injury in year one that shuts down year one, has a car accident in year two, so has barely played. May not, it's hard to get a read. I mean, we're not in camp yet. Like, like I, I don't, may not be like totally ready for the start of the season, but he's lingering there. And so if you think like maybe Robinson early is going to have to get him through some stuff, I think when you look at McQuillan and Sanders behind him, And then a couple other guys, too. They've got a lot of options, and they're going to share it. Saban has that history. This is absolutely going to be a year of sharing it. And again, you have them fourth. I have them third. Let's check back in six weeks into the season. Jace McClellan might be a Heisman candidate, right? But again, that applies to multiple teams here where you've got young guys who have great possibility. All right. You have Clemson six, Ohio State five, Bama four. Who's your three? So this was the team that I had the hardest time with because Brees Hall is the best player on this list. He's the most proven commodity. But like you mentioned, they lose Kenny Nwangu. They don't really have a clear backup. Gyro Brock's maybe going to be that guy. So I ended up slotting Ohio, oh, sorry, Iowa State third. 
because while they have the top talent, probably have the most reliable running game on that list, they don't have the depth. Yeah, I. other than your number one team being my last team, we're very similar here. I had Iowa State second for similar reasons because when I looked into Texas A&M, I didn't know much about the second guy and the second guy like made my eyebrows go up. And I think that matters here. Brees Hall is really good though. Like, and, and I don't like, I don't know a better word than productive. It feels like if, if they need four yards, he'll get five. But if there's an opportunity to turn a five yarder into a 15 yarder, he will. If there's a chance to turn a 10 yarder into a 30 yarder, he will. He just is like, he seems like he can do everything and it's why he's a he's a real primary reason why you believe in Iowa State if you believe in Iowa State because like he's a guy that you think if you need in a big game if you need to be like Brees like Purdy doesn't have it we can't get open whatever like can you carry it 35 times against Oklahoma and try to win this game for us I think he could do it yeah he's just like a very professional college running back well, and one thing that I saw a lot when reading up on Brees Hall was a lot of people saying, you know, he ran for a lot of yards, but he also had 28 more carries than everybody else. Like, that's supposed to be a negative to me, that he carries the ball more than anybody else, and that everybody knows it's coming, and that he averages 5.6 yards per carry. And by the way, behind not the best offensive line in this group, right? So this is a player in Brees Hall who just has it all. He's also shown some prowess as a receiver. I mean, the the ability to to carry the ball 20 to 25 times a game and maintain production and be fresh at the end of games. I mean, I know that we're devaluing running backs in this day and age, but do not devalue what that guy has done. No, and I think he he matters more to a team like that. Yeah. I mean, if you take Brees Hall off that team, I, that you might he might be worth like two or three wins. It's like all of a sudden it's like, Iowa State beat Oklahoma? What are you talking about? It's like, no, they got a dude. And as you said, he's like a borderline four-star recruit. So this is this is development on top of maybe more skill position talent than Iowa State typically gets in a guy like this. So I, I think he's the real deal. I, I'm, I'm curious about what you said about the best individual running back in this conversation. And we'll revisit that when we wrap this up on the college football playoff show. Doug and Shahan back talking running backs. Be a tech subscriber. We'd love to have you. We'd love that you're here. We'd love that you're this far into the podcast. I'm a lot to take. This is like 58 minutes of Doug. That's a big dose. 817-442-6789. The team that you have second and I have first is Texas A&M. Why? What do you like about them? I think the the it, they sell themselves. Isaiah Spiller was a first team All SEC running back. Uh, if you don't know about him, please learn about him soon. Rushed for I believe ten touchdowns last year, over a thousand yards, nearly crossed a thousand yard mark as a as a first year player as well. He's as proven a running back as I think we have in the SEC and maybe even as all of, in, in all of college football. But then behind him, I really like what they have too. So they have two guys back there who. Last year, Anaya Smith was kind of a full-time running back. Now he's kind of maybe a flex player as a receiver and a running back. But he's somebody who they can motion out anywhere, right? Like, he's lined up behind there. He actually, for the first time, lined up at running back in their in their bowl game two years ago, really had a big game. And then last year, the guy that they had come in and have a big game in their bowl game was Devon Chan, 
who is one of the fastest players in college football. Like, I know everybody says that, oh, well, this is one of the fastest players in college football. Like, this is one of the fastest players in college football. Came in as a true freshman uh, in the bowl game in the Orange Bowl, rushed for 140 yards and two touchdowns. So it's it's what I talk about loving in a running back room, right? You have the experienced guy in Isaiah Spiller. You have sort of that flash who's a little bit of a different look in Devana Chan. And I think that in Anaya Smith, you kind of have a wild card there who, again, might play a lot of time at wide receiver, might play a lot of time at running back. And I think that having that flexibility really gives them a really special room. Of all the guys, as I was watching all these guys for this discussion, the guy that like jumped off the screen to me was a Chan. Yeah. And and it what he did, I mean, it's the run against North Carolina in the bowl game, a 76-yard touchdown run. Balance, tackle-breaking, acceleration when he gets to the secondary. It's like it's one of those plays you cannot believe the guy scored a touchdown. And it was like with the game on the line. It like won the game. It is, is, I mean, you watched it last year, but it's like if you're a national college football fan who knows, hey, Isaiah Spiller, he's really good. It's like if this is the combo, Shahan, if this is the deal – because Spiller is such, it feels like a great cutback runner. That guy is going to find the hole and make you pay. And again, I kind of was like, oh, all Kennedy Brooks does is hit holes. I just feel like the, the holes in Oklahoma, this happened a lot. There, and I'll tell you, there's a running back at Ohio State named Mike Weber a couple years ago, yep. who was the guy who was the veteran when J.K. Dobbins was a true freshman in 2017. And he was a big hole runner to me. And he wound up going in the sixth or seventh round of the NFL draft, not really much of an NFL career, because it was like if something was there, he took it. And if there wasn't something there, I don't know what he did. That That's who Kennedy Brooks reminds me of a little bit. It's Mike Weber. Good. But when Ohio State got a chance, you know, in 2016, they played Curtis Samuel when they needed it, because that guy could do more. In 2017 and 18, like they played J.K. Dobbins, because that guy could do more. It's not that Mike Weber was bad. He wasn't a get-you-over-the-top running back for a playoff contender. That's just where I am with Oklahoma. Spiller and Achan are like get-you-over-the-top guys to me. Spiller in space and finding a hole and then hitting a cutback at the second level. Dynamic. I mean, we. I mean, this is not anything that anybody doesn't know. But then, then that's your wrinkle. And how, like, how do you think Texas A&M is going to deploy these guys again? This is my number one group because I was so impressed with the potential of that duo. Spiller is absolutely shown it, hundred percent legit, and a Chan has flashed it. That duo uh, blows. My, it doesn't blow my mind. <laughs> I'm very intrigued. Again, we went back to the Texas A&M Alabama discussion. Can Texas A&M do it? Can they get over the top against Bama? When I look at these two guys, they're get over the top guys to me. Well, and Isaiah Spiller is so critical to the way that Texas A&M controls pace. And that's a huge part of their game plan. That's the way that they run their entire offense in a lot of ways is to control pace of the game. That doesn't mean to slow down the game. It can, but it means being able to go fast and slow, right? And and being able to kind of have that trump card in a lot of ways in Devon Chan, I mean, that, that's an an angle to their game that I don't think that they had last year is that explosive part of their game. And again, we need to see from the passing game too, but, but mixing that in as well, we saw late in the year when Texas A&M really got rolling. And you mentioned obviously in the bowl game, that's really, I think where the game changed for them. And so heading into 2021 and having the mix of sort of, you know, the, you always hear the thunder and lightning, but there is an aspect of that having both of those angles, I think is going to really pay off for them. 
Spiller, the number 152 overall recruit in 2019. Achan, the number 137 overall recruit in 2020. So those are these are two uh, pedigree guys who, who are ready to get it done for Texas A&M. To wrap up our lists, I went Texas A&M 1, Iowa State 2, Bama 3, Ohio State 4, Clemson 5, Oklahoma 6, Shahan, Oklahoma 1, Texas A&M 2, Iowa State 3, Bama 4, Ohio State 5, Clemson six. So we have like, right. We have like the exact same order except for first and six. <laughs> like we're, we're in agreement. And there, there is, this is a, this is a thing where there's a lot of room for our opinions to change because we base our opinions off what we see, but there are some young guys that really matter for Bama. There are young guys that really matter for Clemson. There are young guys that really matter for Ohio state in a way that I think they need them. I think at Clemson, Bama and Ohio state, they need them. Like, if it winds up that Ohio State, Bama, and Clemson are, like, trying to win the national championship with Master Teague, Brian Robinson, and Lynn J. Dixon, like, I like I don't think it's going to happen. Some of these other schools, like, if in, in that kind of – I would take Kennedy Brooks, like, ahead of the veteran guys, right? I would take him over any of those three guys I just mentioned. But they all – all these schools, right, have first- or second-year guys. You mentioned the depth in the Oklahoma room. Maybe Oklahoma doesn't need it as much, and that's probably that's part of why you had them first because they don't need the young guys as much. But they're all these schools have first or second year guys, Shahad, who have who very well will play huge roles in this season, and that's why our opinions are going to change on the backfield. Well, I, I'm trying to remember the uh, the old Donald Rumsfeld quote of like oh, the known knowns and unknown unknowns and stuff. So I want known knowns. That's what it comes down to for me. Yeah, no, that's good. You probably want known knowns, and I want known unknowns. That like, there's a degree of like, well, you know, he hasn't done it, but have you seen his high school film? Have you seen the way people talk about him? This is going to be good. I'm glad. See, it's good. We're fighting. We're fighting stereotypes because um, you're the young old guy, and I'm the old young guy. I'm boyish. <laughs> I'm very boyish. My body is breaking down. I have gray hair. Boyish when it comes to recruiting analysis. Um, all right, that's the pod. We did the press conference podcast first this week where we answered a gazillion questions about Texas and Oklahoma and the SEC. We'll be keep we'll keep doing two a week. That's the plan. That's how we're going to do this. Next week, we'll have another team and another ranking that we discuss on this kind of this primary pod. And then we'll always take questions. And that you can be part of at 817-442-6789. We appreciate you guys joining us as always. For Shahan, I'm Doug. That was the College Football Playoff Show.